pray together. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, that's our prayer tonight, that it would not be I, but it would be Christ through me preaching. We thank you for your word. We think of our brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history who have had little to no access to your word. And yet each and every Sunday, we get to hear from it and preach it. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Lord willing, this will be the final service here at Christ's Covenant in which the preacher preaches to an empty sanctuary. We're excited to be able to gather with you all next week, Lord willing. And as we conclude, we're about ready to conclude our study in Nehemiah. Let's turn our attention to Nehemiah chapter 12. I'll begin in verse 27 and read down to the end of the chapter, skipping over some of the long list of names. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem. Down in verse 30. And the priests and Levites purified themselves. They purified the people and the gates and the wall. And then I, Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, skipping down to the end of verse 36. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. And the fountain gate... They went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Now the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people to the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gates of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to the halt at the gate of the guard. So choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. Down to verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storehouse, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. To gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed their service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and, the son and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God and all Israel in the day of Zerubbabel. And in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. They were set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Tonight we're going to briefly look at both the context and the content of this passage 
I'll try to summarize what's going on, but I would like to spend most of our time addressing the significance of Nehemiah chapter 12. What does this chapter mean for you? What does this chapter mean for me? So first, what's going on here? What's going on in Nehemiah chapter 12? It's easy to read a passage like this and get lost. Who are these people? What's going on? Was it really called a dung gate? Yes, it was. It can be helpful to remember where we are in this book. The first six chapters are dedicated to Nehemiah's mission to rebuild the wall. The second half of the book is mostly devoted to the aftermath and to the people who played a significant role in this mission. Chapter 7 is a record of exiles who return. Chapter 8 through 10 is a reading of the law. And chapter 11 in the first half of our chapter, chapter 12, are a record of people, villages, priests, and Levites. And we come to the second half of chapter 12, and it's finally the dedication of the wall. What began with Nehemiah's lament in chapter 1 ends with his joy in chapter 12. The wall is completed in the beginning of chapter 7, but here the wall is dedicated. Here the wall is celebrated. Here it is commissioned. Chapter 12 is not, it may be one of, if not the highlight of the book of Nehemiah. The wall is finished, and God has been faithful. His people can now live in peace and insecurity. So what's going on in chapter 12? Well, chapter 12, verses 27 through 30, we see that preparations are made for an elaborate celebration. The Levites are in place. The singers and the musicians are in order. There's cymbals, there's harps, there's lyres. People have come from the surrounding villages. The priests and Levites have purified themselves. They've purified the people. They've purified the wall. And in verse 31, the procession begins. The celebration begins. It's full of pageantry, thanksgiving, reconsecration. The procession is accompanied by a choir of Levites who are under the direction of Zechariah. And we see that it says that Ezra is walking in front of them, presumably leading this procession. One procession goes to the left. The other goes to the right. And it seems as if Ezra is leading one and Nehemiah is leading the other. But they're heading to the same place. They're heading to the house of God. They're heading to the temple. Verse 40. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. Verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. We see down in the very next verse, verse 44, that men were appointed for the treasury chambers. The Levites go out into the rural area. They collect the tithe. They give direction and instruction surrounding singing. Everything was now organized and the people were ready to inhabit the city and enjoy the protection of the wall and worship their God. I don't know about you, but there are times when I read books and study books like Nehemiah, and I read over a chapter like chapter 12, and I think to myself, that, that's nice. That's a nice piece of history. That's good to know. It's good to be aware of. But if I'm honest, many times, at least for me, and I presume for you as well, the relevance of a chapter like this one can end there. Many times I think to myself, does this really matter? Does Nehemiah chapter 12 really matter in my life and in your life? And for where we are now, friends, we might be tempted to think that even more. 
Here we are, over two months of social distancing and stay-at-home orders. We haven't been able to easily gather for worship. We haven't been able to meet in Bible studies. Many of us may still be unable to go into the office. Many of us still may have children trying to learn and do school from home. What does Nehemiah chapter 12 have anything to do with me here today? What does it have to do with you here today? Frankly, I can begin to wonder if the Holy Spirit really meant, did he really mean all scripture is profitable? Did he really mean this is God-breathed? Because certainly this passage couldn't have been on Paul's mind. And yet we know that all means all. So what's the significance of Nehemiah 12? Another list of names, a recording of a dedication, instructions for worship. What does that mean for me here today on May 24th, 2020? I want to offer three points of significance for us today. Three reminders for us. I hope that we'll see that this passage does have significance for us. It is God-breathed. God and his spirit do want to use this in your life and my life here and now. Reminder number one, God's people are to be a singing people. Here we have a dedication. Here we have a celebration. And what do we see? We see a lot of singing. Verse 27, the Levites come into Jerusalem to celebrate with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing. Very next verse, 28, the song of the singers were gathered together to fill Jerusalem. Verse 31, there are two great choirs who enter Jerusalem as a part of the processional. Verse 40, both choirs gave thanks and stood in the house of God. And verse 43, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. They were singing. And we know that we see singing all throughout the scriptures. We see Moses singing in Exodus 15 after the people have crossed the Red Sea. We see David singing in 2 Samuel 22 and all throughout the Psalms. Acts 16.25, we see Paul and Silas doing what in prison? They're singing in prison. And Revelation 5, they sang a new song. God's people are meant to be a singing people. It's one of the great joys of the Christian life, singing the praises of our God. Friends, I don't know about for you, but these last two and a half months have been challenging. They've been difficult. They've been hard for many reasons. For many, they've been filled with loneliness. They've been filled with isolation, solitude. As a church, we haven't been able to easily gather for worship. By God's grace, we hope that this is the last time that this will be an empty sanctuary that a preacher is preaching to you. But it may be many months before all of us are back together. And I know that we've been thankful for the technology that's allowed us to continue to worship. But as the other pastors and I have talked from time to time about ministry in the COVID-19 area, one of the things that we've lamented the most is we miss singing with you in this place. We can replicate some of the elements of corporate worship via technology, but we cannot replicate singing together with the people of God. I'm sure that even tonight it's a bit awkward. It's a bit awkward to sit and sing with maybe just your spouse, or maybe your roommate, maybe your children, or maybe you're in a house all alone. 
It's difficult to sing along together. God's people were meant to sing together. Today is actually my birthday. And while I typically take the Ron Swanson approach to birthdays, that they are a private affair and should not be shared with others, I felt to break from that philosophy here tonight to share one point. As a part of our birthday celebration this morning, we have the standard red You Are Special plate, which makes everyone who eats from it incredibly special. But this morning, my kids took the chance to tell me why they're special. Now, normally we do this, and it's full of the usual things. Mommy, why are you special? You make me lunch. You tuck me in. You love me. All these, all these things that are nice, uh, but, but fairly standard. This morning, though, two of my three children, unprompted, with no knowledge of what my sermon was going to be tonight, said, Daddy, I love you because you sing to me. I love you because when you tuck me in, you sing me a song. Now, I'm, I'm not a special singer. I will never be up here with Nathan in the band. I've never been in a band. I've never tried out for the voice. But despite the very average nature of my singing abilities, there is something special about singing and singing together with those that you love, especially the people of God. And Nehemiah 12 reminds us that we were meant to sing and sing together the glories of Christ. I know that all of your pastors long to be with you again here on Sundays as throughout the rest of the week. We want to see you. We want to laugh with you. We want to open the Bible with you. But I also want you to know that each and every one of your pastors longs to sing with you in this place here again. God's people are meant to be a singing people. Reminder number two, God's people are meant to be a generous people. On the very day of the dedication, the Levites also go out into the surrounding fields and the surrounding villages, and they do what? They collect the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes of God's people. You know, as, as, as you know, and as I've studied this passage, I thought to myself, this is kind of strange. They celebrate the dedication of the wall, and then they go out and ask for more money? Is this kind of like the church that that knows they're going to fall short of their budget and so they put together a last-minute biblical stewardship sermon series? I don't think so. Because the reality is that God's people have always meant to be a generous people. They have always meant to be a giving people. And so when we see the Levites go out to collect the tithe, it should challenge us and should challenge our perspective in several ways. First, we see that the people give in plenty and in want. Here we have the people of God. They've returned from exile to their ruined city. And you know, I cannot imagine that decades of exile would have produced an abundance of wealth for the Israelites. And yet here is Nehemiah instructing the Levites to go knocking on people's doors, asking them to give financially. I admit, I don't know much about these towns. Maybe they were the wealthy suburbs, the South Parks or Valentines of Jerusalem in its day. I don't know that for sure. But whether they were affluent or whether they were poor, God's people are still to be a giving, a generous people. Friends, this may be a time where you've been laid off. Maybe this is a time where you've had your hours reduced and a paycheck reduced. Or you're worried about your business. Or maybe by some strange fortune you've encountered a windfall. 
maybe an economic stimulus check in your bank. No matter if this is a time of want or this is a time of plenty, Nehemiah 12 reminds us that we are to be generous people, especially to the household of God. Second, we give for our joy. We are generous for our joy. Look again at verse 43. It was the joy of Jerusalem that was heard far away. They gave out of their joy. They knew that God had been good, that God had been faithful. And they were singing and they were dedicating the wall and giving because they were filled with joy. Psalm 126.3, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. They weren't giving because they were obligated to. They weren't giving because it was part of the law, though I'm certain that was a consideration. They were giving because they were joyful. Brothers and sisters, do we give because of our joy? Do we give our tithe, our first fruits, because we want more joy? It was the joy of Jerusalem to give. Finally, we give because God first gave to us. Just like 1 John tells us that we love because he first loved us, we give back to God because he first gave to us. And what has he given us? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given us his son and then says, I will graciously give you all things. He gave us his son as a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins. And he hasn't held anything back from us. We give because he has given us everything. We seek to be generous because there is no one more generous than God. Friends, I don't know what this time has been like for you. But it seems to me as if much of the world is tempted to hoard right now and not just toilet paper. We face uncertain times, and so it's natural for us to seek to protect and to preserve in what we have. And certainly there is much wisdom in faithful stewardship and biblical stewardship, but the church, the people of God, are called to be a generous people. Like the Israelites returning from exile, let us demonstrate our joy in God by reflecting his generous character to the world around us. God's people are meant to be a generous people, a giving people. Reminder number three, God's people will never be forgotten. The first 26 verses of this chapter are, are nothing more really than a list of names. If you've been studying Nehemiah with us in the evenings, it seems like every chapter recently is full of a list of names. Most commentators suggest that we don't know much about these names in chapter 12. One says, here we have names, and little more than the names. Why this register should be inserted by Nehemiah does not appear. Another suggests that an explanation for the names is very difficult to give. We know that the first several verses are probably the names of priests and Levites who returned from exile with Zerubbabel. Verse 10 through 11 is more than likely a genealogy of high priest. 
And verses 12 through 26 are a list of priests and Levites in the time of Joachim. But other than that, friends, we know very little about these men and why they may have been included by Nehemiah in this list. But here's what we can assume. Here's what we can assume about the names of these men listed here in chapter 12. We can assume that these are men who served God. These are priests. These are Levites. And even though we may not know much about them, we know that they were the full-time ministers of the church in their day. Even though we may have trouble pronouncing their names, 2,500 years later, they are still remembered. Their names are still recorded. Matthew Henry says this, Let the memory of the just be blessed, be perpetuated. It is a debt we still owe to faithful ministers to remember our guides who have spoken to us the word of God. These men were faithful ministers in one of Israel's darkest times. They were estranged. They were exiled. They were subjugated under the rules of others. And yet they continued to minister to God's people. They continued to display faithfulness and fidelity. I doubt they had any expectations that their names would be recorded in Scripture. And yet here we are on May 24th, 2020, looking at a passage in which their names are recorded. When I was very young, my school, my elementary school, took a field trip to Washington, D.C. We saw many of the sites you would expect to see. We went to the White House. We went to the Lincoln Memorial. We went to the Washington Memorial. We ran around on the mall. We had a good couple of days visiting our nation's capital and learning about our nation's history. One of the final sites that we visited was the Vietnam Memorial Wall. I was young and unfortunately probably very irreverent as I sped past the memorial wanting to see something more exciting. You probably know that the memorial is a solemn place. It's a quiet place. It's a simple dark wall that's cut into the earth with the names of every soldier who gave their life in that war. At the time, being so young, the names meant nothing to me. The war happened before I was born. I didn't know anyone who served in the war or who died in the war at the time. I was frankly too young to care and too far removed to notice. And yet, I will never forget seeing people crying, weeping, bringing flowers, slowly moving their hands over the names of their loved ones on that wall, remembering their sacrifice, remembering their service. To me, it was just a list of names. But the sum, those nearly 60,000 names meant something so much more. Those names represented sacrifice and service. Their names were written down. They were memorialized. They were remembered. And the names in Nehemiah 12 are not all that dissimilar. They may not mean much to us today as we casually read them, but that doesn't mean they don't mean much at all. 
Today we can learn from them. Today we can be shaped by them. Today we can be inspired by them. And their service to God, their dedication to his people. Their names remind us that faithfulness matters. Perseverance matters. And that God's servants still matter today. You know, your name and my name will never be recorded in the pages of Scripture. But that doesn't mean that your name and my name will never be remembered. When we see these names recorded, friends, it should remind us of another list of names. Brothers and sisters, those who are faithful and those who trust in the name of Jesus, their names will be recorded as well in the book of life. Revelation 20, 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. So friends, tonight I have to ask, is your name on that list? Is your name in the book of life? Randy Alcorn, author, says, When you choose to accept Christ, and to surrender control of your life to him, you can be certain that your name is written in the book of life. There may be many things to be remembered for, but there's nothing more important than being remembered among the names in the book of life. Friends, is your name there? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation? Friends, is your name written in the book of life? Well-known pastor and author John Piper has written a poem entitled The Book of Life. And I want to read it for you as we close here this evening. John Piper writes this. Before the night he was betrayed... The Lord of glory died. Indeed, before the world was made, the Lamb was crucified. Before the sin, the spear, the lash, eternal was the flood. God put his inkwell at the gash and filled it with his blood. Then with his crimson ink and quill, a holy world compiled. He wrote his kind and costly will, the name of every child. Then finally, with tears, he took a blade to foreordain and graved the title of the book, The Lamb, The Life, The Slain. And if your name is written there, though you may be the least, you will not fall to any snare, nor bow before the beast. You will not marvel when it roars, nor any feet admire, nor drink the poison that it pours, nor taste the lake of fire. But you will live forevermore where dusk and dawn are done. The lamb will be the moon and soar around an endless sun. And if lamb-like you taste his shame and finished life abased, remember, written one, your name will never be erased. Tonight, our sermon is entitled, The Joy of Jerusalem. And friends, there is no greater joy than to know that your name is recorded in the book of life. 
Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, how fortunate and how blessed we are to have our names written in the book of life. And so when we consider these lists of men, servants of Christ in their day in Nehemiah 12, we think of that list. We think of the list of many, many, many men and women who believe in you, who trust in you, who before time you wrote their names in the book of life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get to sing here tonight. We look forward to the day where we will again sing as a congregation. And we look forward to the day in Revelation 5 where we will sing together a new song to the Lamb. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.